appreciate you, Paul, for doing that. And um, again, if you, if you have a chance, it's Candid Conversations, and um, you can listen to that if you've got uh, a long drive, if you're allowed to be with family. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that we have this time together as a, a body of believers. Father, that um, as the song was saying, that we would build ourselves up in your love uh, because that is a firm foundation. Father, teach us this morning from your word that we would have uh, hearts that can receive um, what can be a challenge, what should be a challenging word to all of us. That you would be uh, pulling up and revealing places where we, um, where we need more and more of your grace. And Father, that you would pour it out in abundance as we know you will. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what was supposed to be a two-part series in Jude ended up being six and probably should have been more like nine. Um, but I felt like as we were getting close to Thanksgiving, I'm just going to wrap it up, wrap it up. Uh, and over those last uh, five weeks or so, we've looked deeply uh, into the, the nature and the character uh, and the actions of the people who have crept in unnoticed into the church in Jude's day, uh, the ones who pervert uh, the grace of God into sensuality, and they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. We've looked at the reality of judgment for them, uh, we've been warned extensively by Jude about them. And Jude has not left us saying, okay, so what do we do now? Though you can kind of feel him building up to this climax at this point in the letter. You can feel the anticipation coming that he's going to tell us now what uh, we are to do. Jude, what do you want us to do? You have convinced us that this is a real threat in the church. You, you have uncovered the, the hiding places of, of all those that go this way. Now what? And Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. But a phrase like that can mean so many different things uh, to, to different people. And so thankfully, Jude fills that out for us. And he tells us three things, uh, tells us to do three things together as a community uh, of believers. And he also tells us three things to do for those who have entered into this heretical camp that he's been uh, emphasizing and teaching us on. First, uh, the three things together as a community of believers that we can be doing. Building, praying, and waiting. Here's the thing. Okay, back, if you remember, to our first week. Uh, in verse 3, Jude tells us to contend for the faith. Uh, he showed us uh, who and how and where people are getting in and creating problems within the church. And we are to contend for the faith that these people pervert. But there is a, a second prong to this call to action uh, that Jude has made because there are a lot of Christians who fight and contend 
Just go on Facebook. Everything is a fight for Christians, it seems. But there is a balance. There is a balance where we are not just fighters. We don't just fight everything. There's a balance. And the second prong comes in on the application to our lives. Fight the fight and live the life. Fight the fight and live the life. And Jude says, but you, beloved, in contrast to what he's been teaching about these uh, heretics, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. The life of the Christian is founded not on something that we manufacture ourselves, but it's on something which we have received. Uh, We talked about this several weeks ago, the the chain of transmission of faith, uh, the chain uh, that started with Christ and and came to the apostles, and the apostles uh, brought it to the church, and the church has trained us, taught us, and there's something tremendous here. It means that the, the, the faith uh, which we hold, it, it's not merely someone's personal opinion. It is a revelation which has come from Jesus Christ. And it was preserved and passed on within the church, always under the care and the guidance of the Holy Spirit from generation to generation. And it's a beautiful picture. And that faith It is a most holy faith. It is a set-apart faith, a faith that is built on the teachings of the apostles. Because how can you put your faith into something that you do not know or understand? And this is why doctrine is so important to the church. It gives us the, the framework. It gives us the foundation without which you will not have the strength uh, and, and support to live the Christian life under the pressures that come upon us. If you don't have a proper framework, if you don't have a proper right understanding of foundation, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, it also answers the false teaching issue. Your response to false teaching is to build yourself up on good teaching and then show it by your life. Think about this the next time that you are in a Bible study, a small group. Does the the teaching from that Bible study or small group, does it give you something to build upon in your life? Or or was it just a, a, a social occasion? Was there no application to your life from the lesson that was taught? Was the, was the teaching building your faith, or did it just seem distant and, and unhelpful? Now, I want to make sure we don't make the mistake of also thinking that we do this alone. In our Western American mindset, everything is about the individual. But I don't think that's what Jude wants us to do here because too many Christians think that they build themselves up in their faith alone. And too many have struggled mightily. We are to build ourselves up 
together, in the community together, contending together, building each other up together, encouraging together, reminding together, holding accountable together. I've been thinking about this actually as it relates to the coronavirus and and COVID and all this is that we we have so many uh, church members who are in isolation at home, right? And, And some of that's necessary. But I wonder what it does to the hearts of the person when they start thinking you're sitting in front of a computer screen and you're listening and you're receiving and it becomes an individual response. And you, you miss the community. You miss this aspect of being together and hearing songs lifted up together, voices lifted up together, ha- having conversations before and after the service that, that build up and equip in the faith. And my fear is that the, the virtual church will be the, the direction that people desire to go. They love sitting in, as many people have joked about sitting in and drinking coffee in the morning and, and turning it on. But, but I think that will undermine what the church is built upon. It, it, it's built upon the fellowship together, the life on life together. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Good thing they don't record this service or I'd be in a lot of trouble. Nobody would tune in. <clears throat> Second, praying in the Holy Spirit. I think of Romans chapter 8, and, and, and Paul writes in verse 15 of Romans chapter 8, which we all know Romans 8 so well. And he says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And then in verse 26, Paul goes on to say, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not understand what to pray for as we ought. Now we think of Romans 8 as that sort of uh, uh, heavenly chapter that that we know so many of us know by heart. We can recite it back. And yet here in verse 26 of Romans chapter 8 is a very real and, and, and as genuine as life can be. You know, we could all point to one another and say, you're not praying as you ought. You're not praying as you ought. You could certainly point at me and say that. That's the case. Because the idea that prayer is easy is crazy. And, and, and that's a theme that's really running through these last verses in Jude. That all of these things require striving. And he's pushing against what the the heretics are teaching, which is that everything is easy. And and that's not reality. We have to be striving. And again, they're not done in isolation. They are done in the community. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Judah's not walking around to each individual and saying this. He's telling the community together to do this together. That's why I need to strive with you in building up in our faith, in praying in the Spirit. And you need to be striving with me in the same. Praying does not come easily or naturally. We wouldn't do it at all if it were not for the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit to keep us in prayer. 
feel his urging. If you feel a prompting and the Spirit saying, you haven't prayed in a while, it might be a good thing. It's probably a good thing to just drop whatever you're doing and do that. I've been trying to teach my son that prayer is not just sort of at meals and bedtime or you know those little occasions. And so I start praying with him at random times in the day. And we were driving to uh, my in-law's house last night, and he just started praying, <laughs> a little three-year-old. It's beautiful. So what does it look like to pray in the Spirit? And a lot of people are asking that question. Is this some sort of eccentric new thing that we need to be taught? One commentator writes, the person who has the Spirit of God within them, the person who is led by the Holy Spirit, their prayers, as in all else, are certainly in the Spirit. It's not a special kind of prayer. It's not something new that you need to learn. This is prayer as Christians understand it, that we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and, we have been t- and we're learning and we're growing as followers of Christ and so we pray. That's, that's all it's saying. It's nothing uh, exceptional or new. And it really makes you wonder. If a church was totally committed to praying together in the Spirit, hearts aligned, asking God to do great things in the, in the church body and in the, in the greater community, what would that look like? What would that look like if we were to do that? This is why these things are so important to be reminded and taught. Because we can so easily forget and we can so easily be distracted by other things that draw us away from that. Something the enemy would love nothing more than to do. Thirdly, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We know Jesus here and now. And we have experienced an experience of, of eternal life here and now. But there is another sense in which gloriously, victoriously, he is not here yet. That's obvious. He is at hand, as Paul says wonderfully in Philippians. And he will reveal himself in the last day. But he has not visibly revealed himself victoriously, has he? By illustration... Uh, You happen to, if you've got Jude open, you're about a page away from Revelation. And you read in the first chapters of these seven churches. And as we read about these seven churches, we're reading about the whole whole church throughout, throughout the ages. And there is a lot wrong. What we are told is that while Christ is in heaven... His church will look lamentably weak. And it's only when he comes back that his church will be revealed and seen for what it really is. Meanwhile, it is this strange mix of divine and human. Now, we are called to wait for that time, which means we exhibit patience, steadfast patience. It's a long journey. It means we need to be prepared for the long haul of the Christian life. But we remind ourselves and we remember that we are on the winning side and that we are not to go on appearances, but we go by the truth and what we know, what we know the reality to be. Here are the three things that Jude says as it relates to keeping ourselves in the love of God. 
Three things we as a community of believers do together. We build up in our most holy faith together. We pray in the Holy Spirit together. We wait together for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Then in verses 22 and 23, Jude gives us three things to do for those who have gone astray. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. What's he saying here? First, have mercy on those who doubt. It's interesting if you notice how we are waiting in verse 21 on the mercy of Jesus that leads to eternal life. And in verse 22, that we are to show mercy to those who are doubting. It's an interesting balance there. I would say these last few verses is certainly about balance for Jude. To those who are perhaps beginning to fall for this perversion of grace and denial of Jesus. But how do we show mercy? I think the mercy is the gentle rebuke and a call to depart this belief that will lead to destruction uh, I had a friend who was big into this uh, hyper-grace movement, which is what Jude is fighting against here. This idea that grace covers all, therefore, live as you please. Unfortunately, I was very argumentative uh, and unwise, and sometimes the arguing against people who are leaning this way can be unhelpful. Imagine that. Uh, what they need is a gentle reminder of the truth. Because they think they are fighting against legalism, which is also wrong. But at the same time, they end up fighting against the balanced life, the balanced approach as well. We need to be firm but merciful in presenting that balanced approach while others are running headlong into this mindset, may require a little bit more confrontational approach. In fact, Jude says to snatch them from the fire. This is the more direct method uh, presented here. I interviewed a couple uh, in, in Sydney who told me that uh, someone sat them down and really held them to account in their lives. They were really rushing headlong into, into sin, blatant sin without a care in the world. And someone, in fact, used the reality of judgment uh, to stir them. And, that, and that, that idea of judgment was keeping them up at night. They could not sleep. They were living together before marriage. And when I interviewed them, they said it was that hard word that set them on a right path. Uh, it, it, it led them into uh, separating from each other and, and all the things that go with that. Uh, and then later they married and, and now they have a family. And they are convinced that had that hard word not been spoken, uh, they would most likely still be lost. Now there's something to be said of when to be gentle and when to be direct. I'm sure you parents out there know exactly what I'm talking about. But I think this pulls us back to the, uh, the previous verses. A community that's being built up 
on their most holy faith. A community that is praying in the Holy Spirit, certainly for for wisdom and asking for wisdom and guidance. A community that is waiting for the mercy of Christ. All of that will help you to discern which approach is necessary in your particular case. And I think these things are important for us as a, as a body, that we, that we measure out what, how we are supposed to deal with this person that God has clearly brought into our lives, how much measure of, of mercy and grace and how much of almost discipline do we need to measure out. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. The reality is that there is danger to the sinner, but there's also danger to the rescuer as well. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. The warning is clear. Show mercy, but have awareness. Beware of the fact that you too open yourself up to failure. I remember um, a youth group illustration where somebody stands on a chair and they say, okay, now try and pull the person up into your chair. And they're trying and they're pulling their hand. And then they say, okay, now the person on the floor, try and pull the person on the chair down. You know, you come right down. And so the point being, it's harder to lift someone up than it's much easier to pull someone down with you. Seems a a simple point. But again, here's the balance that Jude is giving us. It doesn't say hide out from the person who goes this way. It doesn't say go where they are and, and fully assimilate completely. It's a rescue mission. Go in, be honest, speak truth, and be alert. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Certainly some Levitical law uh, imagery here where the the garment worn by the person uh, with leprosy was to be burned. But also, it, it, it should signify our response to sin, Sin is a snare. It is an entanglement. You get caught up in its desires. And believers, we are to hate and reject sin completely. And Jude says, hate even the thing that signifies or represents sin. That's how much you should detest it. I remember I had an operation uh, when I was younger, and I had to drink a ton of this special liquid. I think you know what I'm talking about. Um... They let you mix in uh, whatever drink flavor you want to make this uh, horrible drink more palatable. Um, And I picked this orange drink mix that I liked. And um, after drinking gallons of this horrible stuff, it made me hate that orange drink flavor that I used to like. To the point that even years later, if I saw the bottle... Or if I smelled the smell that this drink makes, I would retch. I would feel so sick in my stomach because it brought back all those memories. Now, it's not a perfect example, but I think you get the picture. 
And all of this has a communal aspect as well, doesn't it? There's a sense in which going to the people who are struggling or doubting or disputing together with others, or at least with the prayer support of others, makes this easier. I'm not saying it makes it easy, but it makes it easier. The the speaking a hard word and rescuing from fire with the support of others is much easier than if you go at it alone. The being watchful and hating the garment stained by sin is easier when you have the support of others with you. Well, finally, we turn to the doxology, which I wish I could do as a a separate one all on its own. And again, I cannot help but think of, of balance here. If we are keeping ourselves in the love of God, obeying him, as John 15 says, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. So there is a a keeping on our part, but that is only made available because of the keeping on his part. As John 15 later says, you did not choose me, I chose you. Or in 1 John, we read, uh, uh, we know love because he loved us first. And so Jude holds this balance between our keeping in the love of God and this by declaring, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. It's a balance between legalism, moralism, which says you do all of the work. And what the heretics teach which is God has done it, therefore you do nothing. And then Jude ends with his focus on God, which without uh, and apart from him, we can never build, we can never pray, we can never keep, and we can never wait. God is the one who ultimately protects and purifies us so that we can be overwhelmed with joy in the final day. He protects and he guards us so that we do not stumble into these false teachings. He presents us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Some translations say, make you stand blameless. We stand firm in the gospel. We stand by faith. We stand in God's grace and will. We stand even when faced with persecution or doctrinal error or uh, moral uh, temptation or satanic attack because we stand in him and he strengthens us. And what makes us blameless? It's Christ. It's Christ who sets us apart. It's Christ who covers us. It's Christ who allows us to stand blameless before the Father because our sin has been atoned for, because we are in him and he is in us. And we are empowered, therefore, to live for him, to keep in his love, to obey his word, to build up in the holy faith, to pray in the Holy Spirit, and to wait expectantly of his return. 
And that, brothers and sisters, brings great joy. The idea of eternal life with the one who we are trying to imitate, the one whose example we follow, the one who was gracious and merciful to us, that is the eternal life I desire. <coughs> Excuse me. That's the eternal life I desire. Not the one that the heretics present, which is a, a, a gratification of the flesh, which is temporal. It, it, it's momentary. It, it, it's, it's over in a second. But this is eternity, forever. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. The one who holds the highest position of honor, the one who is sovereign over all. God's character endures. God is honorable and sovereign from eternity past through eternity future and in the present, which touches on all that has been and all that is to come. Awe and reverence and obedience are the proper responses of worship to this God. And all God's people said, Amen. So be it. It is indeed true. Let's pray. Father, in a year of um, chaos and turmoil and confusion and fear and anxiety and doubt and trouble, let this be our great reminder of who you are and of what you are doing, that you are the one who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of your glory with great joy. To you, the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. So send us out, having been built up, in our most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, keeping in your love, waiting for the mercy of Christ's return, to seek and save the lost, and to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and as we sing our closing song, may we just ask that God would seal this message upon our hearts.